All right, turn with me over to John chapter 11. We're going to continue our series on our mission. Our mission is to encounter Christ, to experience community, and to extend the kingdom. Today we're going to talk about what it means to experience community, but jumping from what it means to encounter Christ, looking at an example in Scripture that is a little unusual. Uh, it just doesn't happen like this all the time. It's the only miracle in the Bible which Jesus planned, at least that we have the, the outline of what he had planned to do before he did it. All of the other miracles were on the way to something. A man who was lame from his mother's womb, blind Bartimaeus, he was going someplace and he happened to see somebody or somebody called out to him, the widow at Nain who was on the way to bury her son. He just happened to be passing through the city and raised that boy up. Most of the miracles that Jesus did were those that were brought to him while he was doing something else or in the middle of a message. They weren't planned, at least not from a strategic viewpoint that we could see. This one he planned out. Encountering Christ and experiencing community. Looking at the story of Lazarus and Lazarus' resurrection. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. So Jesus... Again, being deeply moved, came to the tomb, and now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lord, help us as we study. Jesus rarely follows our script. He's really not much interested in our strategy about how we think life ought to go. Just really not. We think we're smart. We think we have a better idea. And, and for the most part, our strategies, our idea about how our life path ought to proceed doesn't have any difficulty in it. No moments where we question whether God is with us. It's really, if we were to script it, one blessing to the next. Bless me here, Lord. Oh, thank you again blessing me. Oh, bless me again, oh God. Just running from blessing to blessing, walking into blessing. None of us want the inconvenience that comes with intentional tribulation. God brings trials to us because he wants something to get out of us and he wants to put something in us. We don't think we need them because we think we're all right. We think we're good enough. Stick a fork in them. They're done. Put the toothpick down. It doesn't come out wet. That's me, God, right? No, 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 you ain't done cooking yet. 
There's a whole lot more left to be done. Until you get to the very image of Christ, you ain't finished. And that doesn't happen without difficulty. Because when times are really good, you don't see what's down on the inside that's messed up. But when times are bad, and all of a sudden that expletive just kind of blah, blah, blah out of your mouth. And you, 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 you say, well, when, when you won the lottery, you didn't say that. When your health was all good, you didn't say that. But all of a sudden, now it's difficult and you can't find the grace necessary to get up the next day. And you don't want to go to work and you're feeling like God has left you. Then all of a sudden, your faith begins to go through your toes. And you're not quite sure whether living like this is worth it anymore. Well, how in the world are you going to know that that is on the inside of you if you don't have a trial that produces a doubt and a belief that needs to get out? God allows difficulties so we will know what we need to be delivered from. And then what we need on the inside when those difficulties come. Rarely are we patient. You don't wake up in the moment of trial saying, oh, today is another day that I get to experience what it means to wait. How happy am I? This is wonderful. This is beautiful. This is exactly how I hoped it would be. No, you're thinking, when is this going to stop? God have mercy. I've been in this too long now. Do something different. I don't know how much longer I can hang on. He wants to put perseverance on the inside. Patience on the inside. Steadfastness on the inside. He wants us to be delivered from selfishness. Motivations that, that would be self-directed. We know what's best, not you, oh God. I want to go this way. I know you want me to go this way, but I want to go this way. Those things that would make us say that, that amazing and, and confusing oxymoronic term, no, Lord. If he's your Lord, you can't tell him no. If he's ruler, master, owner, controller, the one to whom you owe all of your allegiance, you can't put no in front of his name. You're proving that he's not. God lets us go through stuff so we can see what needs to come out. <coughs> Here we've got a story that's just, it's amazing and it's painful. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were three people that loved Jesus. They served him well. They lived in a town called Bethany, which was a bedroom community to, to Jerusalem. And this was probably the place at which Jesus resided when he was in Jerusalem. We know that Mary and Martha were very hospitable and that in Luke chapter 10 at the end of the chapter, Jesus knocks on the door with his disciples, all 12 of them and maybe more because his traveling band would, could be anywhere from 25 to 50 people at a time. One time he had 70 folks with him and he sent them all out as missionaries on short-term missions. There were a lot of people to travel with Jesus. They weren't the 12. The 12 were his staff, but the rest of them weren't diligent and faithful followers. And they showed up at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house one day. Now, Martha and Mary and Lazarus were all siblings. Martha, we, we believe, was the eldest because she is the one that seems to take the responsibility of running the house when they appear. Lazarus is probably the baby of the family because he's mentioned last. And then Mary was the devoted, affectionate, attention-focused uh, um, uh, woman that would sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to everything he had to say, just drinking it all in. And so they appear at their home. 
And, and you have to understand something about culture in the Middle East, Hebrew, Arabic, whatever it might be. You show up to somebody's house, they are expecting you to feed them, to give them bedding, to provide for them a place to wash. That was hospitality, primarily because you couldn't, you, you, you didn't have telephone, you couldn't communicate with people. If you were traveling from one place to another and you knew somebody who was staying over here, you, you, you basically went to their home and, and because it was dangerous to live out in the street, couldn't necessarily be very safe if you just p- pitched your tent, you were, as the host, required, it was incumbent upon you to invite them into your home and to treat them like your family. It is that way today. Now, when it's just Jesus, eh, I can do that. But what happens when he brings 25 of his closest friends? Oh, all the women say, amen or oh my. I got to feed all these folk? Really? They showed up at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, the disciples and whoever else was with them. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus were required to feed them. Now, if you didn't have any leftovers, that meant you had to cook. And we see Martha out there working. I mean, she's getting all the servants together and making it happen. And it tells you a little bit about who these people were. Number one, they could host that many people, so their house was big enough to handle it. Two, Martha had it going on in such a way that Mary felt she could handle it on her own. Because it says that Mary was at the feet of Jesus, listening to what Jesus had to say as he was teaching in their home. But you don't get the sense that Martha was all by herself because there were so many people to feed, which means they probably had servants. Yet, Martha was trying to direct all the servants at the last minute to get stuff together, and she was wanting her sister Mary to help. And rather than talking to her sister Mary, who knows she needs to get up and help, she decided she was going to talk to Jesus and ask Jesus to help Mary help her. You ever been so mad at somebody you didn't want to talk to them? You just talked to God? You know they ain't helping me, Lord. Get them. Get them. To which Jesus says, oh, Martha, you are, you are so concerned about many things. Stop it. She's chosen a good thing. Let her sit here. She's getting something. And it's not that Martha was doing a bad thing. Being hospitable was the supposed to thing. You're, that's what you've got to do. The issue is this. If you are called to do this for God, then do it. Don't be mad at nobody else. Just do it. If I don't serve, don't be mad at me. Just do it. You still obeying God? You getting your blessing from him? That's what he was getting at. Why are you so concerned about whether she's going to do what you want her to do? Just do what you need to do. This family also had means in that we understand that Lazarus was put in a tomb, not a grave. Tomb was a hewn out hole in a mountain and you could walk in it much like a sepulcher that we would have maybe in a in New Orleans or someplace where they can't put stuff underground because of the water table but you could walk in it and you would people would walk in and lay the body and there would be a a, a stone slab there and they put the body on the slab and you could move around in this place the difference in monetary value between the cost of a grave and the cost of a tomb and our dollars would be someplace between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars. Generally, you can bury somebody in the ground with a casket, 
for roughly under 10 grand. Boy, you want one of these, it won't cost you 50 to 75. So we know they had some means and they supported Christ's ministry. And the, the three things I want to talk to you about today are the relational aspect of these dear people with Jesus and what Jesus did during the resurrection and then what it looks like to be restored. They were supporters of Christ. They loved him. It's, it's absolutely vital that you understand how much God loves you. You need to understand that. He's made a commitment to your well-being. He sent his son to die on your behalf. That's how much he loves you. He's committed to you. Unquestionably, without condition, committed to your well-being. He's amazing. Considering the fact that we keep running the wrong way and doing the wrong thing, he is still committed to us. You need to know that. But it's important for God to know something about you, that you love him. He needs to know that. And love is not just one of these affectionate things that we say. Love is what we do. These people loved Jesus and they served him. They supported his ministry financially. They served him when he came by. He slept in their beds. They loved, they did everything they possibly could to, to let him know how much they cared about him. Now Paul gives us the idea that there's a way we can do the same thing even though Jesus is no longer in bodily form here. That's why he calls the church the body of Christ. When you serve his body, you serve him and you prove how much you love him. As we're meeting right now, there is ordered chaos just 50 feet behind our sanctuary. About 75 kids in there from the ages of, of three months to fifth grade. And there are people there are about, I don't know, 40, 50 people back there serving, helping you with your children while you're sitting in here listening. They're not getting paid. They are volunteers. Once a month, they say, I'll do all four services. I'll miss out on hearing the word, which I love so much, so I can serve the body of Christ. They're not getting nothing out of this. Oh, we say thank you. We bless them with stuff every once in a while. We make sure we let them know how grateful we are. But they're not paid. they just working it. They're letting Jesus know how much they love him. We have Yorkshire Elementary down the way that we've adopted in Manassas, a school that the principal is grateful for us coming to adopt them. And we give them things, coats and shoes and gloves. We tutor them. We bless them at Christmas. We do stuff at Easter. We, we just bless them, bless them, bless them, bless. And we have a team of anywhere from 40 to 45 people who are serving as tutors to the folks that come and deliver all the stuff. Boy, there's so many people serving and loving, helping, letting, letting this congregation have hands that reach out that are the hands of Christ. There are people up the street right now who are serving your, your teenagers, your junior high and senior high, volunteers. We do have some paid staff for our children and our youth ministry. But then besides that, we've got six or seven people up there that are just being monitors to make sure that nothing breaks out and nothing happens untoward. You know teenagers have a tendency. <laughs> nothing happens untoward up there. They're working hard, missing out on what you enjoy. Because they want to serve the body. They're proving they love Jesus. What are you doing to let God know you love him? What are you doing? Oh, there was no question about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Which only amplifies the moment. The beginning of the chapter. Martha and Mary send word to Jesus. The one whom you love is sick. Now, you don't send a word to Jesus like that if he's got a cold 
he's going to recover from that. You send it to him if you realize he may not recover. This is serious. Jesus gets the word, and he says, let's stretch out and hang here for a couple of days. Wow. Your loved one's in the hospital. You call Grace Covenant. Say, I need you. They're in intensive care. The doctor says it's touch and go. And the pastoral staff says, eh, yeah, let's just hang around and get some lunch. Oh, it's not that they can't. They just won't. Then your loved one dies. I'm trying to bring this home for you. Dies. Can we do the funeral, church? Eh, yeah, you can do the church, but I don't know if I'm coming. How long would it take you to leave this congregation? You'd be gone in your heart before your body left. So mad would you be? And then you'd go around telling everybody, that church did this to me. That pastor didn't care about me. Oh, don't go to that church. They didn't let folk die. <laughs> don't even come pray for them in the hospital. Jesus shows up. First thing that Mary says, Martha says, is if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we know how long it took Jesus to get there. There were two days between the time that Jesus got the word and Lazarus died. And then by the time he got there, he'd been there in the grave four days. It was Jewish custom that when a person died, you did all of the burial preparation the same day and you laid him in his resting place that day. So it, it's not like what we do. We set the funeral a week in, in a week out. Same day. So it had been six days now. Jesus didn't even show up for the funeral. Didn't even show up for the funeral. Martha hears that he's on the way. She runs out and says, if you had been here, my brother would not. That's a hello. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and what is she saying? It's your fault. It's your fault. And all the other stuff she's not saying. I cannot believe how we have supported you. You slept in my bed. You ate my food. And you didn't show up for my brother. All that stuff that's not said. That she's thinking. Because she wants to be as respectful as she can. But she can't figure out why the one who could have helped did not. Angry. Just at a boiling point, but not letting it spill over. Jesus says, well, you know, if you believe, you can see life here. There's resurrection power here. Oh, I believe. And isn't that the dichotomy we go through? On one hand, we got a whole lot of questions about the reality we're experiencing. On the other is, I believe you, God. I believe you, God. Okay, yeah, you're good. You're good. You are good all the time, even right now when it doesn't seem like it. But you're good. You're good. You're good all the time right now. Right now, you're good. You're good. I'm in pain. I want to cry. I want to die. But you're good. You're good. You're good. You're real good. You're real. We get the theology going, and we're just confused in our soul. We don't know how. We don't know how our brain can think the pathways are all crossed up and mixed up and hit dead ends. And then uh, she's confused. He said, I am the resurrection of the life. And even if somebody dies now, they will live. I believe you. I believe you. Okay, okay. And she runs back. 
And she says to her sister, the master is calling for you. Well, we don't have any record that Jesus said that to Martha. Zero. None. Could have. Maybe did. But I kind of know how relationships work. Martha was hoping she could have got someplace with Jesus and getting a clear explanation of why he didn't show up and what he's about to do now. But she didn't get any place. She knows no more than when she went out to say hello. So she's thinking, well, maybe my sister who sits at his feet all the time, maybe she can get something out of him because I sure didn't. Mary, he's asking for you. <laughs> Manipulating the environment to see if somebody can get some answers. Mary gets excited that the master is asking for her. She runs out. Now, in, this, in the Hebrew environment, you had an entire week, sometimes a, a whole month of mourning, depending upon how important and prominent the person was. It seems that this Lazarus in the family of Mary and Martha, and, and we have no husband for Martha and no husband for Mary that's mentioned, and they all lived in the same house, so we don't think that they were married. Martha, again, was the eldest because she's the most responsible in the home and, and makes sure that hospitality was cared for. Lazarus is a baby because he's mentioned last, which puts Mary in the middle. And Mary runs out. And she, there, there are all these mourners in there, friends, extended family. And then sometimes you'd pay mourners to come. Now, they may not have needed to because they were so popular in the community, but it was expected that these folk would get something as a result of how important the person was who died. And so you were expected to go out and pay somebody to come to prove their importance. So you'd have paid mourners. Not bad work if you can get it, I guess. <laughs> Folks who are paid to cry. Just paid to cry. <laughs> and so you had legitimate folk who were very, very sad. Following Mary out, it says the mourners followed her out to meet Jesus. And all these other folk who were paid to cry. And you could, you, you could imagine the scenario. Here's Jesus walking up. Martha just left. Mary comes up with all the mourners. And we're not talking about sniffles. We're talking about... Morning like this, wailing to prove how important this man was to the community and what a loss there is. Dozens of people at the same time. Jesus sees Mary and Mary says the exact same thing Martha did. If you had, if you had been here, he would not have died. Jesus sees how death is affecting humanity. And these were his good friends. He loved them. And it says he wept. Now, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure why he cried. I have some ideas that I'll tell you in a minute. But I, I know this, that he didn't cry because Lazarus died. He was about to raise him in 10 minutes. <laughs> it wasn't about Lazarus. <clears throat> but I do think that the concentration of, of mourning and despondency that it set in on the community affected his humanity. I don't think he could get away from that. It was just so painful. And he saw people that he really cared about in dire straits. And it, it made him cry. Maybe there was something about what he was going to go through six months later, where he was going to die and be laid in the tomb, and what it would mean for all the people who loved him the most. We don't know exactly, but those probably were in the mix. But I can assure you it had nothing to do with Lazarus' death. 
He then goes to the tomb. And he says, remove the stone. To which Martha says, uh, um, that's, that's, that's not good. I, you don't want to do that, really. He, four days he's been dead, Lord. You, no, let's, let's not go there. Move it. Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God? Okay. Move the stone. Move the stone. Move the stone. And then Jesus said, Lord, I thank you that you hear me. Now, he said that not because he needed to reestablish communication with the Father for this, this enormous miracle. He said it because he said, I want all these people around here to know that, that you are with me and that when I speak, you speak and that you sent me because they will have no clue. So I say that I know you hear me for their benefit. And then he says three words that are just, they, they, they still ring with power. Lazarus, come forth. I heard one preacher say that if he had not said Lazarus' name, Jesus would have emptied the entire cemetery. Lazarus, come forth. And he says it with power. Lazarus, come forth in a loud voice. Now, Lazarus is obedient even in death. He's a man who understands what the voice of Christ sounds like and is not going to be rebellious to the moment. And as he's lying on his slab. It says that he had linens wrapped around his feet, around his arms and hands, and around his head. The death burial process was one that made him look like a mummy. And so he was bound. He couldn't move. Yet Jesus says, come forth. And here he is, now conscious to the real world again. He's heard a familiar voice. And he probably says to himself, Oh my goodness, that's Jesus. I was hoping he'd come a couple of days earlier, but I'm glad he's here now. How am I hearing his I'm not dead no more? Oh my goodness. He said, Come forth. Hmm. Oh, I want to obey, but I ain't quite sure how to do that. Come forth. All right. All right. Well, let's see if we can make. Oh, that didn't work so good. That did not work so good. Okay, let's see. We can. Come forth. I wish he'd come got me. I'm coming. I'm coming. Really, I'm coming. I'm coming. Woo. Come for it. Okay, here I go. Boy, it's a lot easier being dead. I'm telling you that right now. I was in the bosom of Abraham. I don't deal with the world no more. It made it hard. Really, I'm coming. Just hold on. Hold. Don't go no place. I'm coming. I'm coming. 
Probably took him 10, 20 minutes to get from the slab all the way to the front of the tomb. Then Jesus says this to everybody around him, unbind him. Now the power of God that raised this man from the dead, do you not think it could have dissolved linen cloths? Was that so hard? But there's something that God leaves for us. You want to be in community? You want to feel the benefit of being around people who can help you? See what Jesus does with Lazarus and the people around him. He says to them, you unbind him. Jesus is the only one who can save us. The only one that can raise us from the dead. When we walk in this world before we knew him, when we walked here, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, says in Ephesians chapter 2. And he made us alive together with him. We were born again. Only he can do that. The voice of God is the only one that can raise the dead. Yet, he says, I want the body to come around to help us walk with him. Otherwise, we'd be walking with him like this. Wait up, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming. I know you told me to walk with you. I'm coming. And what do these wrappings feel like? What are they representative of? That situation that happened when you were six, that person that abused you, that coach you didn't treat you right, those words of rejection that still reside in your soul and bind you up from relating to anyone because you've got walls that you just put up constantly that keep you at arm's distance. You won't get close to nobody. The curses that are passed down from one generation to another in your family and you are still suffering under. God raised you. You're going to heaven. You saved. But there aren't enough people that you let around you to unbind you so that you might walk with him. This is why it's vital to be in community. To open up your life and let people understand who you are. Oh, is that tough? Yeah. You got to be vulnerable. It is risky. And people, I can promise you this, they'll make mistakes with you. But that's why God's given you a full tool belt of spiritual stuff. You got forgiveness, you got tolerance, you got patience, you got kindness in your tool belt. You use that stuff so that when somebody makes a mistake on you, you forgive them and you say, let's walk together in progress. Let's see what this offense looks like on the other side of the cross. You allow people to use their expertise to help you get free so that you can develop a gate that allows you to walk freely with Christ rather than hopping around like somebody who is all bound up. The Lord wants you to be free, but he has appointed people to help you become free. Sunday morning is absolutely essential for a church's progress, and I am so happy you are here, but this is not all church is. You want to experience community? Open up your life. Become a, a part of a small group. Get with people and, 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 and begin to share all your weaknesses and all your foibles and the things that you struggle in so that somebody might add their strength to your weakness and make you strong. 
begin to allow others to pray for you. It says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's after. Confess your flaws one to another that you might be healed because the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're supposed to be open. And I'm not talking by just theology. This is how I've lived for the last 32 years. Sharing my life with people and things that are uncomfortable. Folk, I, I, I don't want them to know that. But I do it because it protects me and helps me be free. This is what community is. Unbind him. God wants you to be free. But you're not going to get as free as you want to be simply by it being just you and Jesus. Oh, it's not that he has withheld freedom from you. It's that he has appointed another another applicator for the redemptive benefit that comes from the cross for your life. And that applicator happens to be his his body. Are you listening to me? You can't get around this. You will only grow so much. And do not use productivity as as a placebo, as as a as a a, a kind of a, a salve so that you feel better about your life even though you're wrecked on the inside. Listen, I live in the world of ministry. I know so many preachers that go ahead and find the stroking of their soul on a Sunday morning because they got 5,000. Yet their life is a wreck at home. They're selfish on the inside. They treat people like dirt. Yet when they walk in, they are anointed. And all these people listen to what they got to say. And all they're doing is substituting success for what they need is healing on the inside. I'm begging you, don't let your dollars be your placebo. Don't let it be your sad. Don't let your success, your corporate advancement, don't let any of that take the place from what needs to happen in terms of healing on the inside of you. God wants to see everybody free to walk with him. But it's not going to happen to the degree that you desire unless you let the body help you. Small groups, essential to your progress. You need to go out there and sign up after this service. Avail yourself to the wisdom of these pastors to help put your marriage back together, to help put your life back together, to restore a relationship with your child, your friend, to get you back on a career path that is trustworthy when you just got fired from the one you, you were on because you mouthed off at somebody you shouldn't have and it just came out of you. Why? Because you're bound on the inside. These pastors can help. I'm begging you, let the body do what it's supposed to do and take the grave clothes off you. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace. Please empower and bless these dear people to do and be what they should do and should be.